What is up? Welcome back to Big Fat Five, a podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum. My name is Ben Hilsinger, and this week's guest is Brian Dunn. Brian is the current drummer for Hall & Oates, as well as the house drummer for Live from Daryl's House. Everything Brian plays sounds like a pre-produced groove, and it's no wonder he's held the throne behind so many incredible musicians, including, but certainly not limited to, and I mean certainly not limited to, Joe Walsh, Ben Folds, Alan Stone, Average White Band, CeeLo Green, Sting, Michael Brecker, Chaka Khan, Hezekiah Walker, it's all over the place, and it's one of the most impressive lists I've ever seen. His pocket is insane, and all the information today is going to be coming from someone who knows about studio drumming. He really knows. So I hope you enjoy the five records that helped shape Brian Dunn into the drummer he is today. Cheers. Live drums always sound like a produced perfectly. It's insane watching you play. I'm such a fan. But how do you actively seek out ways to stay inspired for yourself as the voice of Brian? I don't know. Like I, like you said, I'm, I kind of came up being a chameleon. Like my brothers and I would watch the Letterman show and we would always say to ourselves like, man, that's the ultimate gig. Yeah. To be able to play music with the actual artists who did it, right? Which doesn't leave a lot of room to be who you are, right? Um, but for me, I always assume that whatever I'm listening to and working on is going to sort of rub off on that other stuff. Like we played with the guy, with the singer um, from Hootie and the Blowfish, Darius Rucker, and we played through one of his tunes. It was like a country tune. He looked over at the rhythm section. He was like, damn, that's like, sounds like an R&B tune now. So it's a moment like that that actually feels good. Like I always try to honor the song first. But the biggest thing that's going to come through, usually, same thing with the guy from Styx, Tommy Shaw, same thing. He was like, this stuff sounds a little R&B-ish, which, so I guess that's, my heart lies in stuff that feels good. I mean, any genre of music should feel good, so that's not an R&B thing. But things that sit that way is kind of what's become, I guess, my wheelhouse. No matter how much, you know, 90s fusoid stuff that's in my bones, <laughs> The R&B kind of influence is probably the strongest there. So I guess that's what I would identify with. So. Sure. Well, your pocket feels fucking amazing, man. My God. I, I almost want to go to number two just talking about pocket. But we'll, let's, let's go to number one. So the album is What We Do. The artist is John Schofield. The release year is 1993. Everyone listen to the whole damn thing. But the drummer is Bill Stewart. So talk a little bit about this record specifically and all that jazz. And then we'll listen to a track from, from What We Do. Okay. The thing about Bill for me is my brother and I listened to that record the first as soon as we, we listened to it for the first time, we were like struck like, whoa, this we didn't we didn't know who he was. And immediately, just my opinion, when I heard him play for the first time, I was like, OK, this is like somebody who's sort of steeped in tradition straight ahead wise, because there's a lot of people like that. I, I feel like when I listen to them play, but he had all that. Plus, he sounded super modern to me at that time like when that record came out that was 
uber modern, but still old. So that was the thing that got both my brother and I, we were like, who is this guy? And then the other thing was the sound of the drums and the feel. Everything is so clean, but groovy. Everything is grooving so hard. And when he trades fours, you know, the go playing over the bar line, like all that stuff was already in me. You know what I'm saying? So I, I, I gravitated towards that. But it was that, but it was it almost had a swanky New Orleans-y kind of thing with it. It wasn't just brainy. It, you know, it just felt so it was so easy to hear, even though it was super uh, sophisticated, mm-hmm. which is to me the ultimate thing. If something can be really sophisticated, but like, who cares? Has a feel, you know, at the end of the day. And that's how his stuff always felt to me. So, yeah. For people that might not know a lot about Bill Stewart, who else is he associated with? Um, well, I mean, he, I mean, he's an artist in his own right. I mean, he has a trio with Peter Bernstein and Larry Boldings. He used to play with uh, Maceo Parker. Mm. So for those who don't know about his sort of, you know, backbeat stuff, he can do that too. He's a force, man. When I hear, I'll tell you what, I went from listening to, you know, being a New Yorker, I was listening to for straight ahead stuff. I was, my brothers introduced me to Kenny Washington and I was listening a lot to Jeff Tane Watts with those 90s Branford records, which was killing me. And But when I started to listen to Bill and Brian Blade, mm. that stuff hit home with me more. 100% not better. Just It just hit me in, in a way that I was like, whoa, that's what, if I'm going to play that kind of music, I like that sound. And it almost made me stop doing it <laughs> because it was so good. And I don't want like to play... If I'm going to play something, I want it to be super high level. And if you're not getting it, you know, like I try, you, you have to be willing to just put it all into something like that. And as much as I love that kind of music, I didn't love it enough to only do it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? But if I could, it would be like <laughs> Brian and, and Bill and, and Greg Hutchinson. Mm, Man, yes. just crazy good. Like I knew who Greg Hutchinson was in the 90s, right? But up until the last few years i've rediscovered him and it's impossible to play the drums better than him (laughs) wow i really think that i think he is absolutely insane but you know well back back to bill i mean so that record for me that was the introduction of, of bill to me and his thing his he's so groovy and musical just feels conversational when he plays it's not like Mm. it's not it's less of check me out and more of he's just partaking in a conversation and just does it with such man it's just it feels just it just feels musical to me for lack of a better word let's do camp out the track two Thank you. 
so speaking of pocket before let's let's go to this one the album number two albums up front the artist is david sanborn release here's 92 speaking of the letterman drummer as well steve jordan yeah listen to the whole damn record but uh take it away and then we'll listen to some some up front man he's the perfect example of someone who again like he has tradition in his playing like you hear history but super modern just the same i mean he may not play some of the type of vocabulary that some young guys do now but it doesn't matter and and he doesn't sound dated like some guys that we are all fans of from 19 you know whatever 1985 they may not somehow sometimes it loses its luster Mm. because of how fast this instrument's still moving but a guy like him no matter what gig he's on he just he gets inside whatever the flavor of what he's playing so deeply that it's cool. So it doesn't matter. It's just, he just gets in there. It's never just a beat. Here's the part. It's not that, you know, for people that if they want to hear more, more stuff, it's, it's so much deeper than that, you know, and he can, he can play so many kinds of music too. I just chose this one. Cause I'm also, I'm a big Marcus fan. I'm a big Hiram Bullock fan. Again, it's like being a New Yorker, going to see Hiram a million times. Another guy in that same realm is Charlie Drayton. Like, you know, and they, you know, Charlie and Steve play with the expensive winos and they switch back and forth between bass and drums. And like, you know, it just never gets old. It's just vibe all day. And don't let the lack of fills fool you. These are bad dudes. All right. Here's Snakes. y'all i wanted to (laughs) i can't say i wanted to talk to you about a drum i've recently received from preston at vessel drum co it's an ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum and it's incredible it's got a 1.5 millimeter shell brass shell with 10 lugs chrome over brass triple flange hoops a trick uh, three position strainer 42 strand wires it's lovely it's loud and it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake. And, and Preston, actually, this is why it's called the Ocean Patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time. And then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And if you all remember, Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast. When I first started out, I didn't really know what the Big Fat Five format was going to be or if it was going to be even Big Fat Five at all. But I went to his garage, his his you know where he makes all of his drums. 
it was really cool he walked me through the episode is essentially from start to finish what happens with the drum and it was it was a really fun episode it's now archived at bigfatsnaredrum.com just because it doesn't fit the format of big fat five i want you to get back to the show but go check it out this drum is beautiful and he actually let me use it on an eve six tour and i didn't keep it and i regretted it ever since then just because i was trying to pinch pennies at the time and i just kept thinking about it and so the opportunity to get it again was presented and it is one of my favorite drums so the ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum check it out reach out to me go to vessel drum co the instagram's just at vessel drum co and check it out it's amazing it's beautiful sounds great bye all right so number three the album is Plantation Lullabies. The, you already talked about this record a little bit. So Michelle and Deggio Cello, the release here is 93. The drums are programmed by uh, uh, David Gamson. So take it away, and then we'll, we'll listen to some Michelle. Yeah, man. Th- this record for me is, I mean, her in general, she's such an amazing musician, artist. Uh, yeah, I mean, actually, I, I think I told, I mentioned before, my brother discovered, I discovered this record. I think I'm the one who showed it to my brother. I heard this record first in a bar, in a jazz club in Montreal. It was a new record, I think. So, you know, I don't know when the record came out. Yeah, I remember hearing it, and I remember hearing this bass like, whoa, what is that? And my friend who was with me said, oh, that's Michelle Degocello. And I was like, who? I had no idea who who that was. And yeah, but I immediately went out and got that CD, man. That thing is just a masterpiece as far as I'm concerned, because it's patient, it's funky. Yeah, it's just put together in such a great way to me. I If you judge a record by how much you listen to it then this is one of the great records for me in my opinion this is the record that i find myself going back to listening to no matter what i'm into no matter what phase i was going through can always put that record on and be like oh so yeah what's unique in, from your perspective about her as a bass player that stands out so much to you Obviously, she's, you know, she's evolved as an artist, so her stuff now is very different. But I'm a fan of bass players that can play with their thumb. But I'm also a huge Anthony Jackson fan. I like fingers, and I like punch. Some R&B bass recordings are like, they're high fives. So there's lots of highs, lots of lows, and not a lot in the middle. But they sound awesome, and they're pretty sounding, and very fat and deep. But, but like on some of the stuff on her record, she's playing like that finger stuff. Forgive me, I'm not a bass player, but you know, the kind of sound like you get from like guys playing flat wound strings on a P bass. It's a mm, totally okay. different experience than I know what you're saying. a jazz bass and playing with your thumb. And she does both. Her time and her feel is so killing. So like for me, that always catches my ear when I hear anybody that's got that, that bite to their playing. It's like when you, they hit a string, it's like a li- every note is like an explosion. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? And yeah, so when I heard that, I was like, okay, I need to, I need to check this out. Who is this person? <laughs> Do you know what song you want to play off the top of your head? Or is the titular if you track? Say name, t- yeah, if you say names of tunes, these I'll know by name. Okay, so this uh, track one, Plantation Lullabies, I'm Digging You. This, man, some of these are longer. Good. So Digging You Like a Soul Record, perfect. Okay, And it's perfect. right along with what, by what I was just talking about, too, with that bite in the fingers, man. Oh. Hell yeah. All right. So here's I'm Digging You Like a Soul Record. Sit back, relax, and listen to the A-track. Dig it like an old soul record. Yes, I'm digging you. 
back, relax, and listen to the eight track. I dig it like an old soul rap. Remember back in the day when everyone was black and kind, down for the struggle. Love brought us all together. Sit back and talk, cultivating a positive vibe. Blue lights in the basement. Freedom was at hand and you could just taste it. It was so cool. All right, so number four, the album is The Best of Earth, Wind, and Fire. Their whole catalog is insane. Released years 1978, but a bunch of these songs obviously came out before that. The drummers, the drummers, Maurice White, Fred White, Ralph Johnson. Yeah, take it away, and then we'll listen to some Earth, Wind, and Fire. It's hard to commit to say anything's your favorite, but man, they have everything as far as I'm concerned. It's funky. They write amazing popular songs. If you're a muso, there's plenty of content there. Mm-hmm. Whether it's harmony, horns, everything about what they did and do is just that's they're the it's the end for me, man. That's mm-hmm. like it's insane. So yeah, I'm just I'm a huge fan. I remember getting my first record player. It was made out of plastic. <laughs> and it had a little speaker built into it. And I remember my sisters were with one of the fire fans and they're not musicians. I would just drop the needle uh, on the song fantasy. And just to hear that piano and that, and I would play the, there's a bongo fill. The tune like the intro of the tune is like, there's like this little bongo <laughs> fill. And then I used to pick up the needle and, drop it back down again listen to it 50,000 times <laughs> oh, so days. yeah man i mean i'm just a fan i'm the i'm a fanboy so my early memories are listening to that stuff even before i was playing it on drums here's fantasy and let's listen to that bongo film
Yeah, that's studio drumming 101. Yeah, man. Wow. Yeah. Have you ever gotten a chance to see them live? Oh, yeah. And I got to hang out with Maurice White. Oh, nice. How'd like that a go? lot. A lot. Uh, it was amazing. I, I was doing, I was the drummer with the average white band at the time. A Broadway musical came to New York City called Hot Feet. It was based on the music of Earth, Wind, and Fire. So oh, cool. uh, I had never done a Broadway show, nor had I even subbed on one. And usually the guys who get those gigs, the, the contractors call their people, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to, you kind of have to be in that world already. And Maurice White was like, if my music is getting represented, I'm going to take part in who plays this music. So he came to New York and it was auditions. I was playing with a band um, of great players, man. And guitar player actually used to play with Earth, Wind & Fire at one point. And the bass player is this guy, Artie Reynolds, a monster bass player. And like he's gotten me so many gigs over the years and learned a lot from that guy. And he uh, and me and him and Keith Robinson was a guitar player. We auditioned for Maurice. It was like, whoa, when the dude just walks in a room, mm-hmm. it's insane. You don't, I swear to God, if you don't know who he is and he walks in a room, you still would say, what's up with that guy? Like, there's something about this guy. That or the aura is that strong. It's crazy. So, yeah, he came in and we played. We played some Earth, Wind, and Fire. And they chose all three. He chose all three of us. Wow. So we, we got the gig, which is really rare. It's actually one of the reasons I kind of stopped doing AWB. Because when you do a, when you do a Broadway show, you you're on like a six month lockdown. You got like or at least a three month lockdown. You can't do anything else, you mm-hmm. know. And I could there was only so much I could miss. I was kind of getting my working my way out of AWB anyway because I was doing work in town, more work in town. And I started playing with Patty Austin, and so I had some other stuff going. And I was just trying to I was making a move anyway. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, I'm gonna audition. I just want to be in a room with Maurice White, and he wound up yeah. choosing us. And then, and then when we took the gig, he came and he would sit in a room while we rehearsed for like hours a day, every day with Maurice White sitting right next to you and playing his shit, <laughs> which is insane. <laughs> yeah, because he's the drummer do, on the line share of that stuff. Yeah, how do you mentally prepare for that kind of pressure? <laughs> it's, oh it, it was crazy, and he was super cool though. He he was super supportive, and yeah, man, it was it was awesome. He was an awesome guy to be around. How long were you on that Broadway show? It lasted from the time we started. It, the whole thing was last a little less than six months. So it was short-lived. Do you like playing Broadway? I mean, when, when it's your chair, it's great. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, you know, I, 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 I did Broadway in a way that like almost anything else would be sort of downhill. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a short of doing a musical based on the music of Donny Hathaway or Stevie Wonder or Prince, maybe everything else would be downhill right so sure. like i got to do it i got to do a show based on that music with with me with musicians who know how to play that music too which is a huge part of it yeah when it's your chair you get to you get to do your thing when you sub you have to you have to do what the person that's there already you got to do it the way they do it even if you come in and you're a equal player or even if you're a better player it doesn't mean a thing you have to do it the way they do it and with drums Unlike, you know, a brass instrument or woodwind, you got to play the parts. And I'm sure people can make, they can make stuff feel certain ways, the way they read lines or whatever. But drums, there's so much improv going on. It's not like you play exactly a beat, right? There's a lot of little things going on constantly. And when you learn a book that another drum set player is playing, especially with this kind of music, it's like, 
it's daunting. I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. <laughs> All right. So number five, the album is, is, is it Savoy stomping at the Savoy? Yeah. Savoy. Okay. I don't know if it's Savoy or Savoy, but there you go. Album stomping at the Savoy. The artist is Rufus, Rufus and Chaka Khan released here's 1983 and J.R. Robinson. Take it away. And then we'll listen to some, some Rufus and Chaka. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, I mean, this is this this is my brother, man. This is my brother knowing who Shaka was and bringing that record home. That live stuff just speaks to me. The way that stuff is played in those songs, her singing and, you know, the whole thing, it's just, it's crazy, man. Super funky. And playing in the, in the club scene, at least when I was doing it, and, and I still do it, but, you know, even in the 90s, if you were playing Tell Me Something Good, um, you were probably going to be playing it without realizing it. 80% of the people on that stage most likely learned it from that live version. You know what I'm saying? So if you were lucky enough to already have had that in your repertoire, it works as an ally. <laughs> you know, some people can confuse if someone's good versus they just don't know the song. <laughs> it's okay yeah. if someone doesn't know a song, but like somehow <laughs> that gets like, you know, wow, it's, Amazing to me sometimes. So yeah, that okay. that helps when you know. <laughs> Which song would you want to play? I would say "Tell Me Something Good," and I think I think I think I uh, when I first started playing this tune, um, you're going to hear. You know, when you listen to from records from the '70s, you can hear time. The time moves, mm-hmm. right? When I used to play to this, the band starts out without her. They just play the. Dun, dun, right and jr's playing like a snare drum roll or whatever and like a march kind of thing and when shaka brings the vocal in everything slows down Mm. a bit and when i used to play to this when i was young i would every time i play to it i would always be rushing at that point and i would say to myself ah i gotta stop rushing (laughs) and then and then damn it brian (laughs) then you realize years later like it was a live concert. Like, now I really hope they slowed down. <laughs> and I'm going out on a limb here. It could be, you know, sometimes when a singer brings a tune in, when the singer's about to come in, she could have been like, this is too fast. And she could have just been turning around with her hand like, let's bring it back a little bit. Sure. Which is, that's that's how music goes. That's mm-hmm. 100% fine and awesome. You know what I mean? So, uh, oh boy. I should have listened to this before I said it. Definitely slows down. Definitely slows down. Now they're sitting in it. Yeah. And the original version is also killing. The Rufus, when Rufus recorded it, um, yeah, man, Jr. just slamming. But like, I, I brought up the I brought up the timing thing because you know you're young, and when you play along with records, you just assume 
it's perfect. I mean, that's what people do now because actually everything is perfect. Mm. But back then, you know, I didn't even it didn't even cross my mind. It couldn't it couldn't have slowed down, right? Yeah, that's how I just impossible, right? So I must be rushing that. Yeah. (laughs) Little did I know that I was going to grow up and realize that every time I play, every time I have to play quietly, I drag. Hey, man, I'm right there with you. And the opposite end of that coin is also extremely true for me as well. <laughs> me too. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's your big fat five. Um, you did mention a bunch of honorable mentions, like you said at the beginning. You got your Vinnies, your Daves, Weckles, by the way, and Cal Uta, people don't know. Zach Danziger. You mentioned uh, a huge Zach fan, man. Is there something of Zach? Zach actually hasn't been really talked about enough on this podcast. Is there something you want to just as an honorable mention for people that are like, who is this Danziger guy that I've always heard? Oh my God! I mean, any of the Wayne Krantz stuff. Um, okay. There's a there's a Laney Stern record called "Closer to the Light," and it half the record is Dennis and half the record is Zach. And Zach is probably he's very young on that record, maybe 20 years old or something. I really dig. That's my style of solo. I love that. All those choices were really kind of tickling my Oof. fancy there. Wow. Um, well, you've actually played with, I don't want to say a friend of mine, not in a bad way, just because I haven't talked to him in years, but I went to school with Alan Stone. We grew up in... Really? Yeah, we grew up in a town of less than a thousand people in Chewila, Washington, and Alan was in my wow. graduating class, and he would always write songs about the teachers and play them for assemblies, and and so to see his trajectory and see how amazing he's been, and then to watch his performances with you guys. Um, oh man, I love we love that guy. And I'll tell you something right now, man. This is this is no joke. When I found out he was going to be on the show, we didn't know who he was, and I I had just seen that that video of him live in his living room. Yep. That kind of first video that kind of went viral, yeah. and I was like, "Are you effing kidding me?" And I went and I showed everybody in the band. I said, "This, this dude's coming." You better get yourself ready, man. This guy is killing. <laughs> yeah, I believe the song. And he is wanted what, to be unaware. such a nice guy. Yeah. 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 No, he's he's also the funniest guy. Uh, he's yeah. Alan's great. He's, Alan's great. He's so cool, and he also hooked me up. I'm, I never I never thanked him for it. He he kind of hit me to who this other singer songwriter is named Tingsek. I don't know if you know this guy. Yo, absolutely killing. He's really a guitar player and a singer. But he's like one of these guys that he can just do a whole record by himself. Man, but you want to talk funky. This dude's from Sweden. Funky. We've been just sophisticated. Like every, I don't know, man. This dude, he's one of my favorite artists. 
Hell yeah. And Alan's the one that, Alan's like, hey, everybody, you need to check this guy out, Ting <laughs> Sorry, I kind of cut it off in a weird place there, but we just started talking about so many different random things. So I thought I'd end it with Alan Stone. Um, anyways, today's big fat favorite is from Ira Elliott of Not A Surf. One of his choices was the album Get The Knack. The release year is 1979. The artist is The Knack. Song choice is Your Number or Your Name. And the drummer is Bruce Gary. So here's what Ira had to say. I was the perfect demographic for this band in 1979. 16 years old, and along with being into punk and new wave, my Beatles fixation raged on unabated. The nerve of these guys not only to have their first album cover resemble the cover of Meet the Beatles, but then the back cover was shot so not only you could see the band posed on stage in white shirts, black skinny ties, and pointy shoes, but you could also see their guitar and mic cables on the ground and TV cameras pointed at them like a scene from a hard day's night. I loved it. Sharona, with that propulsive beat lifted from Smokey Robinson's Going to a Go-Go, sold the record, but to me, the standout drum track on the album loaded with incredible drum performances is Your Number or Your Name. Bruce Gary's playing is full of detail and personality combining fiery energy and fierce precision recorded beautifully to capture the unmistakable quality of a one-time live band performance. Small roughs in the snare in the verses, lightning fast 16th note fills across a four-tom kit, breathtaking stops and subtle dynamics make it a thrill ride where the drums are concerned. There's a video of the band playing this song in 1979 live at Carnegie Hall another Beatles move, which I highly recommend watching. You rarely see a drummer firing on all cylinders like this. All right, here is Your Number or Your Name by The Knack. Saw your face from a window Now I can't let it go But I don't know your number or your name Say what I want to When I'm trying to catch your eye You're stepping out of view It's hard to do It's such a shame I can't get through without your number or your name a glimpse in the subway of the city You were standing so calmly Wish that I only had the nerve to say hello to you It's hard to do It's such a shame I can't get through without your number or your the show if you're listening on a platform that allows ratings and reviews do that it helps more people find the show so it'll get bigger 
and better, and hopefully I'll have a chance to sell out one day. But you'll be an OG listener that can brag to all your friends. Anyways, why don't you go and check us out at BigFatSnareDrum.com and follow us on all the socials. Just search for Big Fat Snare Drum and you will find us. The show is edited in part using Isotope RX Audio Editor. It's amazing. So go check that out at Isotope.com. And thanks again to Gunnar Olsen for the theme music. Bye.